Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me is the one, the only, Mikey Maximus the Furnicus Charette. What's up, Doc G? How you doing, sir? Doing good, man. Doing good. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. I feel I feel great. I don't know if you could tell from my voice a little raspy. I was under the weather this past weekend. <gasps> yeah, no. so but I feel great. I feel awesome now. Do you know what it, do you know what it was? It wasn't it wasn't the COVID, was it? <clears throat> well, I could taste my food very well. Uh, I could taste and smell. It's but... always the quick test, right? I always yeah, do that, that to was... bring <laughs> I do that to bring down my insanity whenever mm-hmm. I feel like my throat being sore. I'm just like, no, I can smell my wrist. <laughs> I could just, I just smelled my wrist. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, I'm glad mm-hmm. you're feeling better. Maybe it was just, yeah. it was just a quick pathogen. Maybe a little, maybe just a little allergy. Something irritated the yeah, sinuses. Know. You know, a lot of nose breathing, Doctor. A lot of nose breathing. So maybe, Good. maybe Good. I did that. Well, you know, hey, it's a filter up there. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. filter we've got. Um, yeah, it is. Anyways, listeners have already stopped listening. Fantastic. So true. <laughs> um, Sorry, Mike. It's getting close to summer. I'm excited, mm-hmm. you know. I love summer. It's I, I I think I have to say it's my favorite season. There's just mm-hmm. so vibrant. It's always full of life. You feel excited yeah. about things, you know. Activities. The trees are green. The sun is out for longer. Mm-hmm. Activities, like you said. Sweet. You know, and we're we're a show in Florida, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we need to hit local listeners with summer news that matters for Floridians. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Now, luckily, the folks at CNN, they've decided to help us with this news that matters. Um, Mike, I'm going to tell you and the listeners here and now how to avoid an alligator attack. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. We need this. We need this. Thankfully, CNN and the journalist Forrest Brown have decided to give us the deets on mm. how to avoid an alligator attack. Now, Mike, you're probably saying, oh, geez, this is serious. The CNN has taken the time to write an article about it. How many alligator attacks are there? Mm. Well, from 1948 to 2021, there have been 442 alligator attacks in <laughs> Florida. 442 in a 73-year span of time. And 26 of them have killed people. Wow. That's right. So uh, let me put that in a little perspective for you listeners. 1959 to 1994, that's less than half the time, there were 1,523 people that were struck by lightning in Florida. Mm, So true. In case you're doing a little bit of statistics there, listeners, that means you're over 117 times more likely to get struck by lightning than killed by an alligator. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) Mike, let's put that another way. uh, Florida Department of Health says that an average of 600 Floridians are hospitalized by dog bites a year, which Mm. means... 
in Florida, you're roughly 100 more times likely to be sent to the hospital by a dog attack than an alligator. Jeez. Yeah. Lassie seems kind of like a now. Am I right? <laughs> yes, she does. A little bit. For sure. A little bit. <laughs> now, add all of this up, Mike. The fact that you're more likely to get struck by lightning or eaten by Clifford the dog, and CNN was like, you know what? We need to write a story about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's uh, since they felt the need to write the story, Mike, I felt the need to talk about it. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. We yeah. all get to waste time. So, <laughs> here we go. Uh, their first tip of advice, Mike, don't provoke the alligators. Mm. Step good one. thinking. It's good thinking, you know. You know, yeah. it's really interesting. They follow that up by then saying, uh, "Folks have been folks have been known to try to grab them by their tails or go up in close for sunning alligator photos." What? Not a good idea. Nope. I, I think we're okay with those folks being eaten, right? Like, yeah, a little bit. I mean. If my friend goes up and starts pulling an alligator by its tail and the alligator eats them, I'll look at them as they're being eaten by the alligator and be like, that's, that's pretty dumb. Sorry, it's I can't. Darwin Award. I can't, I can't, I can't help you out there. You're going to be eaten by that alligator. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> You're about to get nominated. Yeah. It's, <laughs> next tip, Mike, don't feed them. So true. Hmm. Yeah, don't feed the alligators. Seems pretty self-evident, too, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, makes sense. If you're trying to avoid getting eaten, maybe don't mm-hmm. lure them over to you with extra food, you know? <laughs> don't put seasoning salt on top of your head. you like, huh? <laughs> uh, now, the next tip, Mike, they sort of progress into if you do have some sort of encounter with an alligator. So Ooh, if you okay. are around it, and their tip is, remain calm. Hmm. Word. And they add to this, <laughs> they say, say if you're kayaking and you see an alligator, just keep going past it. Give it a wide berth as much as space will allow. Don't take the paddles and slap the water. What? Sometimes people do that to scare the alligator off. But you're actually indicating you're a direct threat. <laughs> who who are these people that they're writing this recommendation for? Is this Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park? Like, <laughs> saw an alligator, so I shoved a flare in its face, and apparently it didn't like that. Like, word. Ian Malcolm. I actually was thinking that was the actor's name, Mike. I was completely wrong. I was like, Ian Malcolm, that's that guy. And then I was like, oh, it's Jeff Goldblum. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, he looks like an Ian Malcolm, though. Man, I, I do like... love Jeff Goldblum, though, you know? Oh, yeah. You can't. She has nothing not to love. If I could that get Jeff amazing. Goldblum on the on the show, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. it's over. Get out of Yeah, I, we'd, we'd quit the show right then. Yeah, could Pretty the, much. No, right we there. wouldn't. We'd, I would, uh, <laughs> Listeners, we would not quit the show. Not because it would, would be like, you would be upset. <laughs> I would be upset. I would have nothing left to do. So I'd be like, oh. That's a fact. 
I really ruined mm-hmm. that one. I shouldn't have said that. Now Jeff Goldblum is going to come on the show just to screw me over. He's like, you said, quit the show. I'm doing the world a service. Quit the show. You didn't show. listen to the rest of it. You didn't listen to the rest of the joke, Jeff. Exactly. <laughs> we Ex- said we would stay on. You lose. Too bad, Jeff. Anyways, now uh, we got to keep we got to keep informing the listeners, Mike. Um uh, mm-hmm. The last tip about the alligators avoiding them. It says if an alligator hisses or lunges at you, you're too close. <laughs> Which, yeah, Mike, I'm going to step in on this one and say if any animal lunges at you and hisses at you, probably too close. Yeah, a little L- bit. Like no animal lunges and hisses at you lovingly. Like that's no. Nah. Doesn't matter if it's a llama, a cat. The parrot, no, no mm. animal is gonna be like, <laughs> and you're gonna be like, oh, thanks, that was nice. Uh, okay, uh, this is an interesting one. I, this, I think this is the last one. Next tip: supervise pets and children when you're in gator territory. So true. Now, this is the really interesting part. It then says, large alligators do not recognize the difference between domestic pets and wild food sources. Hmm. Which, Hmm. I've got to ask, why they specifically say large alligators? Like, I mean, I get that they're (laughs) the ones that are more likely to eat a domestic pet Mm because they're big. But it's not yeah. like small gators have the ability to differentiate and then they lose it <laughs> as they get older and they're like, oh, I forgot it. I forgot that was Fido. <laughs> like, <laughs> doesn't happen, you know? Just all alligators, they don't recognize the difference. Yeah. There have been a lot of those stories. A lot mm-hmm. of alligators eating small dogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Want to avoid having your teeny little dog there beside the water. It will get eaten up like a hush puppy. It will not be good. Hey, I didn't mean to do that pun, but I did that. That was complete accident, folks. That was not intended. Uh, Anyways, Mike's. Uh, Mike's. Huh? Mike's. That's There's okay. multiple Mike's Plural. now. You, Two of me. You <laughs> zoomed just <laughs> seven of them out there. Anyways. Thanks to uh, this article, we have now eliminated the .00000004% chance that we all had of being attacked by an alligator. Do you feel safer now, Mike? I do, Dr. Thank you so much. (laughs) Now that we're all safe, do you want to fire this show up? Let's fire it up. All three engines up and burning. Two, one. Zero and lift off. Mike, I am very excited. I am super excited. We have the one, the only Jeff mm. Hanna of the super Huge. famous nitty gritty dirt band on the show. My goodness. My yeah. goodness. Massive. I mean, Massive. this yeah, just huh? a world class superstar. They have their mm-hmm. own PBS special, Mike. So true. They have. Do we have our own PBS special? No. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. That's the correct answer. <laughs> Not yet. But these guys, I mean, Grammys. The Fun fact, and I'm going to talk to Jeff about this, they were the first band to play the USSR when it was the USSR. When it was the Soviet mm. Union, no American band had played there until they played there. They had the KGB mm. following them around. 
What? Crazy. Nutter butters, man. They, they I mean, they, they still have, they still have two million monthly listeners on Spotify. These guys, it's crazy. It's crazy. We're gonna talk yeah. about their new album, Dirt Does Dylan. We're gonna talk about the history of the band. Uh, we're gonna talk about them playing with Mother Maybell Carter. Uh, we're gonna talk about them playing with Doc Watson. About playing with mm. the Eagles. About playing. Wow. Just yeah. Super excited. It's going to be a good time. But first, Mike, we need to start where we start. Birthday suit. Who do we got? Happy birthday, Mr. President. Uh, I think <laughs> you can get this one, Mike. All right. You've mentioned this person several Thanks, times Sachi. on the show. But oh, okay. you didn't remember his name. Oh. Ah. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I know you know who he is. Okay. We'll see if you can get the name. Uh, born mm. on May 11th, 1989 in Atlanta, Georgia, our birthday suit wearer was the son of a former NFL safety. Growing up, he loved sports. He played baseball, basketball, football. Once he was in high school, he stopped playing basketball and baseball and focused on just football. Hmm. He ended up being highly recruited out of high school, signed with the University of Florida. However, after troubles off the field occurred, he transferred to Blinn College, a junior college, in 2009. He then signed with, the, with Auburn University. Our birthday suit wearer started all the games as quarterback for the Auburn Tigers in 2010, taking them all the way to the national championship, and he also won the Heisman Trophy. In 2011, he was selected number one by the Carolina Panthers. Over his career, he was a three-time Pro Bowler, Offensive Player of the Year, and MVP in 2015. He took the Panthers to a Super Bowl that same year and has the record for the most quarterback rushing touchdowns of all time. You made a comment several times about this quarterback going vegan. Name ah. that birthday suit wearer. Hmm. Man, I can never remember this guy's name. And then you said I can't remember his name, so now that's like an extra layer. First, um, first uh, initial C, last initial N. Hmm. Why do I keep wanting to say Colin, but it's not? Uh, I'll just I'm gonna I'm gonna give time back to the show, Doc G. I'm not gonna waste it anymore. <laughs> I return. I yield my time. Cam Newton. Ah, Cam Newton. I thought that would have taken another five minutes. I'm just sitting. Cameron <laughs> Newton is the guy. Cam Newton. Yes, man. Yeah. My goodness, that dude. I'll tell you, he's had some ups and downs in his life, but. Mm -hmm. You go back and you watch that 2010 college season. Woo! Say what? A train. That dude was a train. Yeah. Like, and you look at that, like, it's crazy when you look at that team. Go back, if you have no life, listeners, go back and look at the roster that he played with. No, literally, I think there's one other dude that made it to the NFL on that roster. One other guy, and he took them to a national championship, won the national championship with one other NFL-caliber talent. Wow. Yeah, normally when you see a team like that, it's like, you know, 15 people that made it to the NFL, 20 people, ah, 30 people okay. that made it to the NFL. One other dude, and this guy was like, get on my back, guys, and we're going to the championship. Like, And he That's took right. them. Oh, man, yeah. he took them. 
He is impressive. I remember too. Did he have? He, he didn't win a Super Bowl, did he? I don't think so, right? Took him to the Super Bowl. Took him to the Super Bowl, him lost. Him. Yeah. 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 Uh, 2015. Yeah. Uh, Watch that at yeah, my friend sorry, Joe's house. He had a, a, a Super Bowl uh, celebration. That's a fact. I actually spent most of the mm. time talking to my brother on the phone because my brother did not have time for those shenanigans known as a Super Bowl. So uh, <laughs> we, I was chatting on the phone. I was like, what's going on in the Super Bowl? Because I'm a man that cares about sports, guys. You know? Had to get the <laughs> updates. Huh? Anyways, Cam Newton, uh, I mean, I feel like his his career is a little bit short. I mean, I know he got hit all the time because he's a giant quarterback, but, like, he's only 33. He's only turning 33. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's Tom yeah. Brady. Tom Brady's over a decade older than that dude. Come on. Mm-hmm. Come on. Anyways, happy birthday to Cam Newton. 33, the Scotty Pippen year there for, for Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike, you ready? Rip some headlines? Yeah. What do we got? It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. See what we got going on here in Florida. Aside oh, from, yeah. obviously, dog attacks and lightning strikes. <laughs> uh, we're going to go down to Cape Coral. Uh, where a middle school art teacher was fired by the school because she let students paint flags that express their own sexuality. Word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She said it Get started when students asked her about her sexuality, and she told mm. them she was a pansexual. Ooh, okay. You know what that is, Mike? Now, for all the listeners, it means she's basically into anybody. Okay. Doesn't matter. Guys. I thought that was bi. Ladies. I thought that was bi. Uh, uh, you know, transgender Trans. of any sort. Oh, okay. She's into, oh. into anything. She's ah, up. She's gotcha. game for it. That's what pansexual okay. is. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she then says that some of the students were like, uh, can we create art expressing their sexuality? Word. Which, sort of a weird jump. I mean, I know it's an art class, <laughs> but, like, I don't feel like I'd do that in middle school. Like, hey, so you're a pansexual. Huh. Can I make a flag about my sexuality as a seventh grader? Mm. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's a weird jump. Regardless, that's what she said <laughs> happened. Vince says most of the students made flags is the type of art they made. Um, and she decided that these flags were so good that she was going to put them on her door of the classroom, all the different uh, flags that they mm. made. Uh, some school officials noticed the flags and asked about them. She told them about their meaning and what they were, and uh, the official said, get them out of here. But the damage was done, Mike, because apparently the school district had already received multiple complaints from parents, and she was fired. Ugh. So, a couple things, Mike. First, seeing how it's Florida, seeing how we're talking about Florida, let's be amazed and applaud the uh, fact that none of the students drew a Confederate flag. Can we be? Ah, that's good. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I know this was about their sexuality, but can't you see, like, Like, Wyatt? Can't resist. Yeah, Wyatt (laughs) in the back of the room, like, (laughs) yeah, like, mm, draw a flag? mm, Got it. Uh, these these <laughs> colors don't bleed. Uh, second, <laughs> let's applaud the fact, too, that no students drew a giant flag. Am I right? 
Like, mm, that's good. That's, that's pretty good. sophisticated on their part. You got to give it up. Yeah. I mean, if Jeff Bezos was in that class, you better believe he would have. So, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, for sure. Pretty good. Lastly, come on, school district. It's the art teacher who gives a Let him paint. Come on. It's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. I mean, and especially since there weren't any flags of the caliber that I just talked about. Come on. Who cares? Mm hmm. Yeah. I saw a picture of them. They showed me. They, they had a picture of the flags. Most of them were just colors. You didn't even know. Like, hey, I mean, you they, show, they, didn't, they were like, I don't know what my flag yeah, is. I'm just going to draw a flag. You, you, show, you show those to somebody else, and they'd be like, is that uh, Indians? India's flag? No, it's not? Okay, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. Right? Like, come on. Anyways, uh, Mike... Interesting story out of Iowa. Hmm. Uh, here's the title of the story. Quote, Iowa man cited for water tower graffiti that featured a spelling error. End quote. <laughs> Gotta ask, Mike, did he get the citation for the spelling error or the graffiti? Hmm. Hmm. Good question. Sir, um, we weren't going to give you a citation, <laughs> but then you misspelled together, so we gotta <laughs> got to give you the citation. He did this, Mike, on a water tower in Sac City, Iowa. Mm. Which, which, Sac City is an awesome place. I want to live there just because of the name. Yes! But he uh, apparently wrote Eric and Heather together forever on the water tower in spray paint. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, I mean, Mike, if you live in Sac City, Iowa, the best graffiti, graffiti you can way. come up with is some crap about <laughs> you and your girlfriend. Come on. Uh, come on. That's whack. Come on, Eric. You live in Sac it's good City. Good real estate. Use your, yeah. use your head, man. Yeah. Now, uh, also, I looked it up. There are 1,864 people in Sac City, Iowa. That means the police could check with, like, the six Eric's that live in Sac City and find <laughs> the one that's going out with a, a Heather and arrest them. Like, yeah. come on, Eric. Come on, bro. Come on, man. At least use, like, code. At least, like, make your name a triangle and hers, like, yeah. a... A, a son and they'll be like I, a triangle and son together forever I, I have no mm -hmm. idea who that is check all the Eric's with triangles yeah exactly <laughs> like they don't know won't be hard to find no no but <laughs> we know their shapes Eric wasn't well obviously since Eric misspelled together yeah, yeah. I was together I don't I don't know how you misspelled together like he spelled he left the e out of it like how to good Together, like, come on. Duh. And your girlfriend's name is Heather. He's so focused. Your girlfriend's <laughs> name is Heather. It's so close, man. Come on. Yeah. Anyways, so he got a citation for that, Mike. Um, well, that's not bad. I mean, no. At least he didn't get arrested, I mean, at least I he didn't get tased and then thrown in prison. So that's good. <laughs> true, um, true. True. Mike. Uh, I think most listeners are aware you now reside in the great state of Nevada. Yes, yes. I think this week I may have found a nice home for you. Oh. Yeah. We're in the market. It's it's a bit of a ways from you, but I think Oh. I think it'll be worth it. Um that's that's probably all right. <laughs> it's on the Nevada <laughs> side of Lake Tahoe. 
So, Ooh, okay. Charles Bluth and his wife Cindy have decided to sell their house, and I'm going to give you some deets of the property. So, the main residence is 20,000 square feet, uh, with the primary suite being inspired by the Palace of Versailles. Uh, All right, sold. There's already. a gym. I mean, so far. There's a wine cellar. There's a movie theater. There's okay. three elevators. There's a greenhouse with a jacuzzi. It's not haunted. So that's a positive two. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Sorry. There's two guest cottages. There's a Zen garden. There's a koi mm. pond. There's a seven-car garage with a workshop. There's a private sandy beach, a private marina with 12 boat slips, mm. and many wow. more other amenities. Now, Indian barrel of the ground. Well, <laughs> I think the thing that it is, it's it's not that it's haunted or that there's an Indian burial ground. Uh, it's the price tag's a little steep. It's a, it's mm. a little steep. It's listed at a hundred million dollars. What? Oh, wow. Okay. A hundred million dollars. <clears throat> there's hmm. no way What's this place is worth a hundred million dollars, <laughs> Mike. No way. No way. Like I mean, I know it's it's multiple multiple millions. Like maybe even mm -hmm. like eighty eight million, you know. But a hundred million, no, no. They just round it up. You know, they just they, they're just like ah, hundred. Should have been ninety nine million. Yeah, you know, and they're like, ah. come on, try to look, trick us. Well, and a you bit. know, nobody's gonna like somebody that can afford a hundred million dollar house. They're not gonna be like, hmm. No, I added all these things up. It's eighty-eight point seven six million. Like they're not gonna do that, mm -hmm. you know. So they're just like, yeah, shoot for the stars. Hundred million sounds good, right? Yeah, hundred million. Uh, and, and talk us down. <laughs> in case you're wondering, Mike, this could buy about two hundred and twenty-five homes of the average price in Nevada. Hmm. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, which got me thinking: if I was uh, super effing rich, like the person that could actually buy this home. Uh, I would just, like, buy 300 normal houses around the country. That's a fact. Like, mm -hmm. ready to move in with furniture and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just buy these houses all over, and, like, you wouldn't need, like, you could take an endless road trip every single day and just stop in mm -hmm. the next house, like, 30 minutes away from the last one and be like, yep, there we go. <laughs> next house. Right? You do it year round, every single day. A, a house for each day of the year, you know. Ooh, yeah, you can do that. And just, It'd be stressful, but yeah. And you, you, you do it. All you need one master <laughs> key to unlock every house, because hmm. you definitely wouldn't want to have to walk around with like a giant dungeon set of keys, no. like fingerprinted, fingerprinted, sitting there for five key. hours. Like, no, that's not it. <laughs> I remember. I think it was the silver. Was it the silver one for the no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a skeleton yeah, key. I'll try, I'll try. Hold on, <laughs> other set. Like, yeah, but I'm just saying that would be an awesome thing. So, if yeah, it, anybody's be. out there thinking about this hundred million dollar house, maybe just go with uh, three hundred regular houses. You know, just think about that. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, maybe the master of Twitter will come along and buy this guy's hundred million dollar house. I mean. Mm. For old for old Elon, this is like good lord. This is uh, he goes with the prefab houses. He gets like mobile homes, basically. That's what Elon does. Yeah, well, he should get three hundred of them around yeah. the country. Get a That's lot what of them. He should do. <laughs> um,
Mike, uh, before we go to break, when was the last time you had a hot dog? Hmm. Ooh. Um. I don't even know, Doc G. That's a good question. I have no idea. Yeah. No clue. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a while. I was thinking about it. I used to be a big fan of hot dogs back in the day. You know. Mm-hmm. I would. I, I was. I was pretty particular though on grilled hot dogs. Like I. Oh yeah, I, that's the way to do. I it. wanted to be. I wanted to get a little char on them. You know. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm against a boiled hot dog or a pan-seared hot dog, but I was just into the grill, you know? I was down. Yeah. You throw, like, four of them on there, ooh. I was a pretty plain hot dog guy, just mustard, you know, usually. Yeah, 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 yeah. I graduated maybe to a little bit of little bit of onion on there. Yeah, so, that's the move. Little t- onion and mustard. Mm-hmm. That's the move. Yeah. And grill. You ever got mm-hmm. down on one of those insane Chicago dogs? Hmm. So now that I'm thinking about it, I do. I did actually have a hot dog over the holidays. My dad bought me this like, um, uh, like a kit with all this like I can't remember the the name of the the butchers, but there's a big butcher thing, and they and he sent me this big thing full of like steaks and wow. hot dogs and stuff. And uh, one and the hot dogs are Chicago style, I think. So they're like the round, the big round ones, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, yeah so yeah. Well, I mean, the main thing that makes uh, insane Chicago dogs—they got all kinds of crazy crap on them. They got, you know. Like, oh, it's the ingredients. You, well, you put the style. relish on there, and the dill pickles, uh. and tomatoes, and pickled peppers, and then celery salt on the top. Oh, okay. It's insane. Okay. You look at it. I've never had that. Then. Looks like it's been dragged through a garden. That's literally a term. Yeah, That's what they I call like that, it. Though. You know, it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. It's just crazy. Like I see it, I'm like, whoa. I thought that was a subway term. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a run it through the garden. It's a Chicago. It's a Chicago hot dog style, man. Okay. Um, okay. but the reason I have went off on this tangent about hot dogs is uh, in Passaic, New Jersey, they had a new place to get a hot dog for about a week, and then it was ruined. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Dave Martina. Dave Martina saved up about $55,000 of his money to make a hot dog store to sell the best Sabret hot dogs you can imagine. Okay? The name of the restaurant, The Original Jumbos. The Original Mm, Jumbos. That's a good one. That's a good name. Yeah. And at the very beginning of the article, I found this interesting, Mike. They even go as far to say that it was a state-of-the-art hot dog stand hmm hmm <laughs> i'm i'm not sure anything anyone anybody selling hot dogs could be state of the art like <laughs> 3d printing them it could yeah i was about to say it could be a robot <laughs> fabricating hot dogs out of tree bark and i'd be like yeah still hot right. dogs yeah yeah now fancy the reason that I what I still be oh, that's pretty fancy. Wow, out of tree bark, state of the art, pine neat. Um, anyway, the reason that I said that it was ruined uh, was that just a couple of days after the state of the art hot dog creation station had opened, a van ran into it. Huh? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty small. Come on, it's pretty small uh, station too. So the van just totally just wiped the whole thing out. Just the whole thing out. Whole thing out. Uh, not too surprisingly, Mike. Um, it, uh, it 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 was it was everything was wiped out. All the equipment must be replaced. 
so if you were planning on going to Passaic, New Jersey, to the original Jumbos, just know it's going to be several months before they uh, they get back on their feet. They get back on their feet. Mm. Uh, yeah. Now, luckily, since they were selling sabrettes and it's New York City area, folks still have roughly about 50,000 hot dog carts that they can purchase <laughs> them from. So, true, true, true. So if you are in the area, guys, don't worry. You still got a couple of options. Anyways, <laughs> Mike, let's take a break. Listeners are going to hear from one of the uh, classic, the Dirt Band classics here. This is Fishing in the Dark, right here on the Doc G Show. Back here on the Doc G Show, Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Listeners, if you haven't done so already, do it now. Huh? And what I mean to do is to go (laughs) to your nearest phone, mobile device, find a podcast streaming application, and subscribe to the Doc mm-hmm. G show. Yep, so it true. It will prevent you from being eaten by an alligator. Mm-hmm. All you need to yeah. do, if an alligator approaches you, turn it up as loud as possible, and that alligator will be like, that voice <laughs> is so annoying, <laughs> I'm out of here. That's a fact. And it will just bolt, <laughs> and I will have saved you from an alligator. That's mm-hmm. right. I guarantee that right now. Right now. I'm going to feel really bad <laughs> if somebody comes comes to me and is like, my friend was eaten by an alligator, and they played your show to the alligator, and it just kept eating them. And I'll be like, oh, yikes. <laughs> or they're like, the alligator ran away, but then they got struck by lightning. Girl, come on. Yeah, and I'll be like, I did not stuff. say it would prevent lightning strikes. I never said that. Do not put that on me. Uh, Mike, we need to shout out the, uh, the regulars. Here we go. Shout out. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Gainesville, Florida, Radford, Virginia, Ashburn, Virginia, Frankfurt, Germany, Anoka, Minnesota, Piracai, Brazil, San Diego, California, Dublin, Ireland, Boardman, Oregon, Genoa, Italy, Peoria, Illinois, Barcelona, Spain, Winfield, West Virginia, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Biloxi, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Richardson, Texas, Katy, Texas, Toms, River, New Jersey. There we go. Yep. Regulars. Regulars. Biloxi getting it in. Mm-hmm. Toms River yeah, getting Biloxi. it in. Pirakai. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Mike. Shout out to some semi-regulars here aspiring to be those regulars. Shout out. Shout out to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Rio Rancho, Ooh. New Mexico. Whiting, New Jersey. Corvallis, Oregon. San Antonio, Texas. Los Angeles, California. Beaumont, Texas. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Charlotte, North Carolina, Istanbul, Turkey, Richmond, Virginia, Locust, North Carolina, Williford, Arkansas, and Phoenix, Arizona. Shout out. Mm. 
Phoenix. Phoenix, man. They were regulars for like a good year solid, and then they sort of dipped, and it was a little sad. So uh, okay. Hopefully they come back to the regulars. Hopefully they start making it week by week. You know, that's what I'm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm crossing my fingers for. That's right. Um, but shout out to everybody that listens. Thank you. Obviously, you guys have not been eaten by alligators, and it's all because you listen <laughs> to the show. We appreciate it. Uh, Mike, <laughs> I need to pull out the miscellaneous file. Uh, earlier we this got? week, Mike, we uh, posted a story on Instagram about how both Hotel Fiction and Yacht Rock, former guest on the show, told me that when I was in Atlanta, I needed to try a Bon Me sandwich from a place called Lee's Bakery in Atlanta. Both of them told mm. me that. And I realized after Nick from Yacht Rock told me that, I was like, Hmm. Wait a second. I'm pretty sure that's the place that Hotel Fiction told me to go to. I need to check the tapes, but I'm pretty sure that's the place. And I went back and I was like, it was. Holy crap, you know? And uh, I've looked at these sandwiches. They're pretty killer. All right, Doc G. I'm going to have to look this up real quick. Bon Me sandwiches. B-A-N-H space M-I. Bon Me. So true. Uh, It's a Vietnamese sandwich, and the place is called Lee's Bakery. Uh, in Atlanta, uh, and it's just uh, it's just killer, right? And uh, I um I posted this, you know, showing the evidence that Lee's Bakery was doing something magical, you know. Mm. And uh, I was, I, you know, I went on just to check the Instagram account the other day after I posted, and Daryl Hall of Hall and Oats liked our story. About Lee's Bakery. Word. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, it's super cool. It's also a little confusing. Like, not exactly sure what Daryl was liking, you know? Was it the Bon Me? Was it the, the Yacht Rock review? Like, what was it? And then... Whatever it was that motivated him enough to be like, they need to f- know how I feel about this right now. <laughs> like, yeah, I just wanted to know. Now, I mean, obviously, most likely, Daryl wasn't thinking any of these things. And who knows? He probably just accidentally hit the button and was like, oh, no. Oh, God. Some weird Doc Jeebus show is going to be messaging me now. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Can I unlike? How do you unlike? Does anybody know? <laughs> But I just, I thought that was, I was like, what? Out of all the people, Daryl Hall, why did... Doc G, yeah. random question. So does that mean, since he liked your story, does that mean that when you, if you DM him, that you don't go to the other box, that you go to his direct inbox? I'm not sure. I'll have to... This could be big. Let me, let me, uh, let me reach out to the folks Set at the old meta. <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> I'll just, just, all I'll just <laughs> test. That's all. I'll just send him one that just says test. Test message. What? <laughs> uh, and then he'll... Test received. And then whoever he's with will be like, I told you, <laughs> now they're texting me. Oh, God. <laughs> they're texting us tests. The Doc G show is reaching out. Anyway, super cool. Uh, Daryl Hall, if you listen to the show, please come on our show. We'd love it. Yeah, please. I would We'd listen to you sing all day long. It would be amazing. <laughs> By the way... A sufferer of Lyme's disease, Daryl Hall. Oh, yeah. Man. 
Yeah, I remember. That was a big thing, and they're behind the music when I watched their behind the music back in the day. He still has it? He still suffers from it? It's one of those things that just, it's a it's a long-termer, you know? It's a long-haul like yeah. COVID. It doesn't really go away. Like, your symptoms can last forever, really. Mm, it's one of those brutal. things that just keep on popping up, and you have, like, sort of remissions, and then all of a sudden it comes <clears throat> back, oh, and it's okay. like, hey, remember? I'm back. Blam. You know? Sucks. Mm. Sucks. Man. Anyways, um, Mike, now that we've uh, pointed out that uh, Daryl Hall is definitely a lover of the show and listens all the time, just like Tom Brady, mm-hmm. um, yeah. we need a, I got one, maybe maybe two stories, we'll see. Uh, there's a story out of Port Arthur, Texas. Port Arthur, Texas, right below Beaumont, Texas, which as you may recall is a semi-regular of the show. Shout out Beaumont Shout again. Out. Uh, Shout out Beaumont. Yeah, exactly. Anywho, a family in Port Arthur, they recently called the police because they reportedly had an unknown man mowing their lawn. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When the police arrived at the house, a man was running from the yard, dragging the family's mower. Word. And uh, Mm. he eventually kept running, but decided, you know what, I got to ditch this mower. It's slowing me down. So he eventually (laughs) left the mower and just ran. Uh, But he did technically steal their push lawnmower from the house. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting because this family has security, uh, uh, security footage on their house of the whole incident. So it, like, shows this man walking up to the house... Uh, going into their driveway, going into what's a shed here right off side of the camera. He goes into the mm-hmm. shed, gets the mower, brings the mower out, fills it up with gas, mm. and then starts mowing the yard. And uh, mm. he's pretty efficient. Quick work of the front yard. It's only like five minutes. Gets the whole thing finished. Just yeah, z- nice. zip zaps right through that thing. <laughs> and uh, then he has to run off, you know? Um, first question I got, Mike, I don't, do you call the police if this is your family? Yeah. <laughs> do you wait? Yeah. Do you wait for them to finish? Yeah. I mean, would you, Mike? What finish. would you do, you know? Would I don't know. I'd probably, I don't know. I would just, I don't know. I'd probably wait to call the police personally. I mean. But I would call. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would call somebody. I, I think I would, I don't know, yeah, I guess I would call the police. Instagram story first, and call the police. I, I was about to say, yeah, I, I I definitely, you wouldn't want to go out there. If a man is uh, no. mowing your yard, yeah, it's a little bit off. There's something a little mm-hmm. bit off, yeah. you know? But like, yeah. you think this dude, I was trying to get in the mindset of this dude. Do you think this dude was like, all right. I'll steal this mower, but first, I'll mow their yard. That way they won't be too concerned because they'll know they have at least a week before they have to cut it again. So they're like, mm, it's ah, fine, gotcha. we've got time, don't worry. Mm. Like, was that it? Or maybe was mm. he just testing it? Like, I don't want to steal it. He was testing. Mower. Yeah, make sure this thing cuts grass good. Oh, okay. All right, it's pretty nice. All right, let's get out of here. Like... Oh, no. <laughs> All right, Doc G. Third, third. Uh, maybe he was thinking about starting a lawn care business with their mower. Uh, maybe wanted to advertise the skill set 
test out his skill set in the middle he of the wanted, night. He wanted them oh, to right. go in halvesies with him, and that was the way they would convince them halvesies. Yeah. Like, see what I did here? You're going to supply the mower. <laughs> I'm going to supply the elbow grease. We'll make millions. Mm. And, then the, yeah. and then the police cut him short on it. How dare they? That's... Well, he realized this is a bad idea. This is not how you go about this. And then that's when he decided to run. But he still needed the mower because he still wanted to keep the business. But then he realized. And I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure if they ask him, he would pay back the mower. I have mm-hmm. no idea who this guy is or his overall demeanor, but <laughs> I imagine he would pay it back, Mike. That's just my. Oh yeah, for sure. That's just my mindset on the dude. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Mike, we are going to take one more break here before we get Jeff Hanna on the show from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Right now, let's hear their ultimate classic. This is Mr. Bojangles right here on the Doc G Show. I knew a man, Bojangles. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we are very excited, very excited to have co-founder of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band who have a new album, Dirt Does Dylan, coming out May 20th. Mr. Jeff Hanna. Jeff, how are you, sir? Good, man. How are you doing, man? Doing good, man. I, I want to tell the listeners, first off, uh, they know we've had a lot of great folks on the show. We've had uh, Super Bowl winners, uh, great comedians, uh, Grammy winners of all sorts and whatnot, but no one has got my dad as excited as you coming on the show. My dad was thrilled when he heard there was a co-founder of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band coming on the show. Tell your dad thanks. I appreciate that. For sure. He's he I I he said he couldn't remember the exact year, but he said it was around seventy two he saw you guys at Burris Hall on Virginia Tech's campus. Somewhere around that's, there. That's probably a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> you know, the old thing about the sixties and seventies, if you can remember them, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Tell your pops hey, man. I appreciate it. For sure. I definitely will. Um, well, now, obviously, 56 years of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, uh, does it does it feel like 56 years, or is it one of those time flies when you're having fun thing? It's a little of both, you know, it depends on what day, depends on how much sleep you've had the night before, you know, how far you've traveled in the tour bus or on an airplane to get there. Uh, mostly, it's time flies when you're having fun. This is a really great job, and we're really grateful to be able to do it. For sure, for sure. Right now, uh, for listeners that don't know, you know, this is, I, I think for for uh, nitty-gritty fans, they already know this, but, you know, the, the start of the band, Jackson Brown was in the band. He joined you guys at the 50th anniversary uh, for a couple of songs. The PBS special, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is just so wild to me to think, uh, you know, because I love those southern california times of the the mid 60s uh late 60s all of those bands there uh now when you guys were first starting out in southern california there was that vibrant scene uh was there so much 
uh, commingling as I think there was in my head? Were there like jams going on everywhere with, you know, the members of the birds and, and Joni Mitchell and just was it a whole bunch of commingling? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that. I love the music scene in Southern California. And a lot of it, uh, you know, there were two clubs up in Hollywood that really were kind of like the home base for a lot of these artists. The Troubadour, of course, mm -hmm. uh, with Jackson and Linda Ronstadt and the guys that would become the Eagles, future Eagles. Yeah. Uh, the Birds, Buffalo Springfield, all those guys. Then that splintered off into, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Poco, onto the Eagles for some of those guys as well, you know. Um, but yeah, we all hung out. The Troubadour Bar was, was quite a spot. You could see it was a very, very great people watching spot, I should say, you know. But yeah, and a lot of people were co-writing and, you know, bouncing songs off each other. Uh, it was a, a really, really terrific time to be in L.A. Now, did you, when you were going through that, because I mean, I've actually, you know, I've watched now probably two or three documentaries specifically on that scene and how critical it was just to music and obviously rock and, and country music. Did you guys sort of sense something special or was it just you were having fun making music? Again, we were having fun making music, but I think that there was a, you know, the, the, the birds did an album called sweetheart of the rodeo came out in 1968 on the, on the other end of the country, the band had done music from big pink and then that the what I call the Brown album, the eponymous album, the band. Those two records, I think, had a huge impact on all of us musicians. This thing about sort of getting back to your roots, you know, playing rock and roll, but with sort of a, a country essence mm -hmm. there, or bring in the folk music and the you know and the bluegrass elements that we all grew up on, but putting a bass and drums and electric guitar on that thing, and that was kind of those records were hugely influential and, and we were, you know, one of the bands that were influenced by that. We started as a jug band. Jackson played with us uh, when we were all teenagers. He was with us, I should point out, like for the first six months of the band. And then he went off and became Jackson Brown, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Bad for that. Great guy as well. But um, yeah, in that troubadour scene, you know, there was a lot going on right there. Also out in the San Fernando Valley, a club called the Palomino Club, that was also a big deal, you know? Yeah. You'd see, you know, Emmy Lou Harris and the Hot Band. Up. Um, there was more towards the honky-tonk side of things. But it was great, man. It was a, it was a really uh, crazy good time. Uh, it was had by all. Well, I, I've, heard you, I've heard you say this before as far as uh, Colorado sort of being your home base, definitely in the, in the 70s and 80s. That's where you guys were. Um, yep. what was, what, what pulled you away? I mean, because it, to me, yeah, it sounds like so it's such an amazing time in California. What pulled you away and made you guys decide to go to Colorado? When I was a kid, I lived in Colorado for a couple of years. I went to junior high school, middle school, they call it now, I guess, uh, in Littleton, Colorado. When I moved to California, when I was 15, my, my, my family, I didn't just hitchhike out to California, <laughs> went to high school in LA, Long Beach, California, actually. And uh, it was the friends I met in high school and then later in my brief collegiate career uh, that became the Dirt Band. Yeah. So 
after playing a few years on the road, uh, around the time of Mr. Bojangles, which was a hit in 71, uh, we'd, our band had been touring Colorado some and everybody fell in love with the place. So there was a big earthquake in LA. Uh, our wives and girlfriends were terrified as were we, we did, we just thought, man, it's going to fall in the ocean one of these days. But it was, it was really more, it was less about that and more about the fact that Colorado just seemed like this perfect place, man, up in the mountains, clean air, you know, it, uh, felt like summer camp every day. So that's what got us out there. And some of our friends from LA followed suit. Coco moved out there. Um, Steven Stills had a place in uh, outside of Boulder, Colorado. Dan Fogelberg. There was quite a scene. Joe Walsh and Barnstorm. Yeah. And then there's the famous Caribou Ranch uh, that a lot of folks cut their records. Everybody from the Beach Boys to Chicago to Elton John made records there. Uh, so that became, you know, this at least a chunk of that Troubadour L.A. music scene just kind of moved east mm. to the Rocky. It was pretty great. It was really, really great. And we lived there for a very long time. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, now, right around that uh, time, I think, you know, obviously it's one of the things the Dirt Band is best known for, uh, Will the Circle Be Unbroken record, which came around 72, put in the Grammy Hall of Fame in 98, just amazing names of, of country on that album. You know, uh, Roy Acuff and Doc Watson and Mother Maybell. And I, I just sort of wonder, because, you know, one of my favorite documentaries out there, the Ken Burns documentary on uh, country music, and you guys are featured on that, about that yep. record. And... I, I always wonder when I watch it, and I, I've read other things about it. How did how did that opportunity sh start? Did you guys just look at each other one day and say, "Hey, let's go to Nashville and play with these guys, or try to play with these guys"? It wasn't that simple. I mean, obviously, we idolized everybody on that record. Mm -hmm. We actually knew Merle Travis because back in our jug band days in L.A., we had opened uh, played a week with him at a club called the Ashgrove in L.A. Um, but no. Uh, our band was touring the South. We were playing all these colleges in the Southeast U.S. And um, we played Vanderbilt University here in Nashville. I live in Nashville now. This is where I am today. Um, and Gary Scruggs, who was Earl Scruggs' oldest kid, was going to school there. And he and his brothers had become fans of our band. They heard Mr. Bojangles on the radio, bought the record, flipped it over and realized that we had recorded a song called Randy Lynn Rag that Earl Scruggs wrote, mm -hmm. named after Randy Scruggs' kid. Yeah. Um, so uh, Gary set up a meeting, like a meet and greet, to meet the band. We had no idea about this. We had not met Earl Scruggs. Of course, we all idolized Flat and Scruggs, especially John McEwen, our banjo player at the time. So we, uh, we played a show there. Thank goodness it was a good set. <laughs> and afterwards, we got to hang out with the Scruggs family. We sat around and it was like long lost family members. It was just so great, immediately bonded. And uh, as they were walking out the door, Earl turned to us and said, well, if you boys would ever want to do some recording, I'd love to get in the studio and play some, pick some, you know? Wow. And he closed the door and we kind of went, what just happened? Earl Scruggs wants to record with a dirt band. Yeah. So a few months later, we all got a phone call from Bill McEwen who was uh, John's older brother, but was also our manager and record producer. 
And he said, what if we take Earl up on that offer, but expand the whole concept and we'll get in there, you know, and we'll put a list together of, of, of artists that you guys, all, we all agreed on everybody. Doc Watson, there was no argument over that. Uh, you know, Mother Maybell Carter, Jimmy Martin, Merle Travis, G, uh, Vassar Clements, of course, Roy Acuff. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to argue with that. It's like, yeah, it would be great to have lunch with those folks. We're going to get to make a record with them. So John and I went to a club. We Now we'd relo- relocated to Colorado. John and I went to a club in Boulder called Tulagi. And the Earl Scruggs Review, Earl and his boys were playing there. And uh, John offered to drive Earl back to the hotel. And I'm sitting in the back seat. John turns to Earl and said, would you consider like being on this record that we're going to make? And Earl said, well, I'd be proud to. So that was that. One down. Next week, John went and saw uh, uh, Doc Watson. Doc and Merle Watson were playing the same club with Earl in hand. <laughs> you know, that was kind of our 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 bait for Doc. You know, yeah. And Doc immediately he was Doc. These guys were all such open-minded musicians. I should point that out. Gracious, generous with their time and talent, but also like you know they didn't see boundaries. You know, whether they were cultural or musical or whatever. Merle Watson really helped in that regard because he was a fan of our bands. You know, second generation. again, So it kept rolling. We came to Nashville in August uh, and spent, we spent about a week and a half down here, but we spent six days in the studio recording, did 30 some odd tracks, all of it live and had the time of our lives. But it went by like that, wow. you know, and we were kids. We were average age 24. Yeah. That's that. I I mean, it's always presented w- when I see things about this album. You know, it's sort of you you guys revived these old names, or you brought them back into vogue. You know, these 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 older names of country like Doc Watson, like uh, like Mother Maybell, they came back, and all of a sudden they were at sort of the forefront again. I'm guessing you guys did not see it that way at all at that time. Not while we were recording the record. I mean, certainly. I think that I think that there was I think that appropriately the spotlight that had drifted off some of those folks came right back into focus again, like it should have been all along. But I mean, I I guess the best way to put it was is we exposed these artists to a younger audience. And I think that was I'm really grateful for that. You know, I, I'm grateful to, for for our record to have had a hand in that and to expose that kind of music again, you know, because we had the dirt band who were like the furry freak brothers, you know, playing rock and roll. But well, wait a minute, who are these folks that they're playing? And some, some people of course never stopped being fans of Earl Scruggs or Doc Watson or the Carter family. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that, you know, it's just this combination of things that happened. That record happened so organically that it, it was, there was not some giant sort of, grand scheme and you know the what happened as a result of the album just happened yeah yeah they they all i mean it's like you said they all obviously all these artists you played with are are consummate professionals they are you know they, they had been doing that career for 30 years 40 years by that time a lot of them but it also seems like especially like mother maybell to me she seems like one of those folks that 
you she'd throw a joke into the conversation, but because she's such a boss, nobody would realize that there was a joke tucked in there. Would she? Do you remember what? What do you remember about recording with her? Well, I remember that we were on our best behavior, you know, <laughs> because she had this really kind of angelic presence, you know. And I say that I, I don't know—is that the best way to? It kind of works. Uh, she would just she had this. There was something extremely regal about Maybell Carter, hmm. and we had our our respect level was like huge. She was, I got to point out, she was my first guitar hero as well, because I learned how to play Wildwood Flower like a lot of kids off those records um, when I was a, you know, a folk puppy, a teenager. So being in the studio with Maybell, and I got to point out Earl Scruggs was responsible for bringing her in because they were family friends, the Scruggses and the Carters and the Cashes. Um, yeah, no, she was so cool. You know, we were, you know, we kind of acted like, we are are sort of you know talking like sailors thing kind of stop when maybell walked in the studio but they you know the rest of the guys were ah, we just had such a good time there man we had such a Sa- to to be to be a fly on the wall in that recording studio well we can thank bill McKeon, by the way for allowing people behind the curtain on that because it was bill's idea at you know in addition to running the live quarter inch tape you know for the geeks out there it's 30 30 ips analog there was no digital back then uh but he ran a separate tape machine at a slower speed to to capture all these conversations i think he realized from the first day that holy cow these folks are talking about stuff that like my goodness you know doc watson and, and merle travis meeting for the first time and Doc na- naming his son after Merle Travis. You know, it's like, whoa, you can't make that stuff up. For but sure. But that was a, br- a brilliant idea. And again, uh, it's so great to hear. When I put that record on, because, you know, most of those folks are gone now. Uh, Norman Blake's the only one still with us from the left side of the page on that cover. And uh, to be, it, it's, it, you know, it's bittersweet, but it's really great. You know, touches my heart to hear all those folks like they're in the room for sure well now uh one one last question on that uh i also you know sometimes when you look at this album juxtaposed to the other music being made in nashville uh the other music being made in nashville at the time was very what they call country politan very polished very smooth uh did you i mean the music obviously seemed to rub against each other. Did you feel any of that, you know, tension person to person? Was there anybody that was like confused by what you were making or anything like that? Well, I think the closest that any of those folks came to it being kind of a head scratcher for him was Roy Acuff. Now, Roy Acuff was like, you know, star of the Grand Ole Opry and sort of I think he was maybe, he was definitely the oldest person on the sessions. I think he was in his perhaps early 60s, which now seems like that's a kid to me, by the way. Um, Roy, uh, you know, he was kind of like, well, you know, he says something in one of the newspapers here about like, well, I can't tell what they're really thinking behind all that hair and beard, you know. (laughs) We look just like you did, man. (laughs) But that was a case... You know, and then there's Roy over here looking like, you know, the most conservative guy ever. Uh, 
and we're thinking, should I just trust this guy? And he's thinking, should I just trust these guys? As soon as we played our first note of music, it was like gone, poof. You know, universal language, man. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, now, not not long after that album, uh, I feel like this is sometimes overlooked. Uh, you guys were the first band to tour the USSR. Uh, yeah. Now, you guys... It's really strange in today's, you know, climate, by the way. A hundred percent. Yeah, that was something. We, uh, in 77, when they still called it the USSR, uh, the... This U.S. State Department asked us if we would go do, as part of a cultural exchange, go to uh, the Soviet Union and play a series of shows. Because they had like the Bolshoi Ballet here in the States. And it was like Russia was sending their folks over and we were, you know, the, the Soviets, I should say. And we were, you know, but we were the first, uh, I mean, technically a rock band. You know, we had banjo and fiddle and harmonica, and washboard and all kinds of our dirt band uh, stuff. But uh, yeah, it was great. I'm glad we went. It was a, we played like 23 shows in 30 days, 28 days. It was a grueling tour and we were really happy to get back home. But uh, yeah, it was something else. Something else to have like the KGB following you everywhere you go. I mean, there's so much, I was a big fan of that show called The Americans. I don't know if you were a fan of that or not, but it was about these deep embedded spies in the, in, in the U.S. Great show on FX. But it really reminded me of those times. Uh, but the crowds could have been better. Those folks were, the, the, the people we played for in Latvia and uh, Soviet Georgia, Armenia, and in Russia as well. The, the music fans were great. Unfortunately, you know, these kids would come to our shows and if we, if we met them back outside for an autograph or something, they'd be pulled out of the crowd and detained for four days you know yeah some things yeah yeah now uh did you ever because i i I saw sort of the the like you mentioned as far as the state department sort of contacting and and having this cultural exchange did you ever question you guys like look at each other like why the why the dirt band why 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 us i don't know i you know i don't i don't know why the dirt band maybe because I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, maybe hey, maybe because our music kind of spans genres, you know, there's a little country, a little bluegrass, a little rock. It was kind of Americana, uh, you know, not before Americana music existed, but I mean, you know, the, the earliest definition of Americana. Yeah. So I'm glad we got to go. We went back again in 89 as well. And this is when Gorbachev was uh, the head of the Soviet Union. Very different guy, I might add. Really, actually, you know, com- comparatively a really cool cat, you know, especially compared to Putin. Not a fan. <laughs> Man, understandable. Understandable. Well, not too long after, I, well, you know, fast forward to the 80s as far as uh, the Dirt Band's career. Uh, you guys had a, a tear of hit singles. Uh, 17 consecutive top 10 country singles. You, you, you'd obviously had a bunch of success before that. We already talked about a bunch of that that cool success that you had. Um, but you hadn't had like this sort of particular type of commercial success up to that point. Not the consistent you know, success because we had you know, a handful of pop singles, the biggest being Mr. Bojangles, American Dream, Make a Little Magic, those 
and there were another handful of others that cracked the top 40. Um, but in country music, it was like they opened their doors wide open for us when we decided to come to Nashville in 83, I believe, our first country's official country single came out. Now, I that mean, was great. Was that the was that sort of the big change? You think? Because I mean, you know, I I don't think you changed too. I mean, you were always like you said, sort of blurring genres. But like, it didn't really change to a large degree. Was it just that fact that you were in Nashville and it was seen yeah. that way? I think musically, we didn't change a whole lot at all. I mean, in other words, what we were playing in from the beginning of the 70s into the mid 80s musically was essentially california country rock with a little bluegrass and cajun influence um it's just that country music had sort of drifted away from like you said that the country politan days uh the big strings and orchestras and background singers to where it was kind of getting back more into like a self-contained uh alabama great example the band Alabama, great band, by the way. We toured a lot with those guys over the years. Love them. Uh, it was a really cool time to be part of country. I mean, not that it's not now, but I'm just saying we were lucky. I think the 80s, she, we toured with a Juzz, God bless Naomi Judd, by the way. Um, toured with the Juzz, Reba McIntyre, the Oak Ridge Boys. Uh, you know, our label mates were like Emmy Lou Harris. Uh, there were folks like lyle lovett and steve earl that were considered country acts at the time ricky skaggs so it was you know it was kind of wide open and it did really embrace a lot of the music that we already loved so it was easy peasy for us and thank goodness the country fans really embraced us and um, i was really really grateful for that yeah oh now during that time since he was in one of my favorite bands, and he has North Florida ties for us here in Jacksonville, I feel like we need to bring it up. Uh, during that time, you had Bernie Leiden, uh in the band there for about two years there. In the now, uh, after watching the Eagles documentary, Bernie seems like a bit of a wild card. I don't know if he was uh, wild in the Dirt Band, but what, what were the two years like with Bernie in the Dirt Band? They were great, actually. We knew Bernie. His brother, Tom Ledden, um, was in Mudcrutch, by the way. I should point that out. Talking about Florida. Yeah. Uh, Bernie had, uh, we met him in Southern California when we were still a jug band. Bernie was playing on our records. Um, he played on our third album, album called Rare Junk that we did. Uh, and he was in a band called Hearts and Flowers back then. When John McEwen left the band in 86, Almost like a week after that, I got a call from Bernie and Bernie had just moved from California to Nashville. And he said, hey, man, it's Bernie. I'm like, hey, Bernie, what's up? He's like, because he had left the Eagles at that point. You know, he'd been out of it for a few years, made a solo album. And he said, he said, man, I, if you guys are up for it, I'd dig going out on the road with you and playing some music. We're like, yeah, Bernie Lennon, come on. Great guy. After a couple of years, I think he got tired of being on the road again. It was that simple. And so he got off the road. But during that time, we were promoting, we had already finished the record that had Fishing in the Dark on it, an album called Hold On. And Bernie came on right as we that album was launching. And then we did an album called Working Band with him as well. He's a great guy, man. He's so cool. Such a, a very, you know, different, different kind of musician than John McEwen was. I mean, Bernie uh, 
well, for one thing, he's a terrific electric guitar player. You know, so that brought another side of things. Great five-string banjo player. Another guy came from the bluegrass roots. Mm -hmm. By the way, if you talk about documentaries, just like for me, there's a great doc that's on Epics, E-P-I-X, on that channel called Laurel Canyon. It's a two-parter. Super good. I know there was like the echo from the canyon that, yeah. uh, you know, that uh, Jacob Dylan yeah. was in. But this one, I think, goes the deepest covering that whole music scene, sort of starting with the Mamas and Papas, going all the way up through the Eagles. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended that as a talking head a lot. And uh, again, super cool. I see him from time to time. He's a really, really great guy. Very nice. You're saying about Bernie and the Eagles, you know, Bernie got, Bernie just didn't want to do that anymore. You know, he dropped out of there at a interesting time. And here comes Joe, you know, who brought whole, uh, no, Walsh brought a whole other rock sensibility to the band. But I, being a fan of that band, I mean, I like, I love that band right now. I love seeing Vince Gill and the Eagles. Mm-hmm. What? They're terrific. They're still making great music. Well, well uh, speaking on that, I mean, you've you've played with Vince uh, several times. You've 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 had uh, shows with him, and yeah, obviously, you've played with all these artists throughout the years. Johnny Cash and Ricky Skaggs and, and Doc Watson, everybody that we've we've talked about. There's just this huge fantastic list is there anybody that you can think of that you have wished you you could play with and you haven't yet well we played with mavis staples but i'd love to record with her you know, she's one of my all-time favorites i'm a big fan of the boss i'd love to do something with bruce one of these days we recorded his music i met him a couple of times he by the way the first moment I met him said, man, I'm a really big fan of Little Circle Be Unbroken. You know, he said that helped him get into country music. I'm like, great. So, boom, mission accomplished. Happy about that. Yeah. Um, there have been so many that, you know, there's a younger generation of folks that I just am crazy about, you know. Sierra Hall, Billy Strings, Molly Tuttle, um, especially in, in the, uh, you know, uh, country bluegrass roots side of things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and with jason as well we're lucky that we actually got to do some recording with jason he's one of my favorites you know? well and speaking of that let's let's go on to the, the new album because you do have some of those new folks on the album there uh yeah. dirt goes dylan it dirt does dylan but Dirt does Dylan. You Sorry, s- <laughs> you're good. Uh, so you saw Dylan in 1964 when you were in high school. How well do you remember that concert? Oh, like it was yesterday. I mean, it was like I was a fan already. He had. Uh, I got into his the first record. You know, the self-titled eponymous, as they say, Bob Dylan album. Uh, I, I got in right away. I loved his singing and I loved his harmonica playing and his guitar playing. I was like, boom. And here he was like this younger guy. That's the other thing. A lot of the folk artists that I was so admired so much, folks like Doc Watson and Flat and Scruggs and, you know, Maybell Carter, uh, they were like an, another generation ahead of us age wise. Mm-hmm. Dylan He'd be kind of like a big brother age for me right now. Uh, but he was like this kind of hip kind of kid, right? So him doing this music, if, if it sounds familiar, it's a little bit like what happened with 
will the circle be unbroken? Our fans, you know, I just, there was something appealing to me about that then. And he only wrote two songs on that first album, the freewheeling Bob Dylan, which had don't think twice on it and girl from the North country and a bunch of other fantastic songs that just blew the doors off it for me, you know? So by the time the times are changing record came out, and Bob Dylan is coming to my hometown playing at a high school. I'm like, I can't miss this opportunity. Plus, it was only four bucks to get in. So <laughs> crazy. Me and my high school sweetheart and a couple of my friends all sat in that auditorium with our mouths just wide open. Like, wow, can't believe we're seeing this. And this is like a year before, well, just several months, actually, before he went to Newport Folk Festival and went electric, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm guessing I'm I'm guessing for those early years then as far as as the dirt band goes Dylan had a, a huge impact on your your guys music. Well, it, it you know even though we weren't recording his music at that point we could all sit down and show you how the finger picking part to Don't Think Twice is all right went, you know. We were all playing along with those records. He was up up in here a lot, you know. And guys like Jackson Brown who was the, really the first uh, absolutely the first guy I knew that wrote his own songs. Can you imagine that? First guy you know is going to be a songwriter is Jackson. So I didn't feel like I should or could write a song for years after that because let Jackson do it. He does it so well. Uh, but he was he was clearly in, in, immensely influenced by Dylan. We all were. So, you know, for sure. part of the deal. Well, now, you've got Larkin Poe on the album, uh, on the song I Shall Be Released. Uh, we were lucky enough to have the sisters on the show uh, this past year, and they are just super hard workers, super talented, just lovers of classic and, uh, classic American music. Um, I heard you know the, you've known them for about 12 years, but this was the first time recording with them. What was the experience like? It was terrific. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, we... Uh, we met Rebecca and Megan. They were they were open open some shows for the Dirt Band uh, back in I think around 2010. Uh, they they had a bluegrass band with their sister, who uh, dropped out of the band to raise a family essentially, and then you know their backstory. But they started as bluegrass kids. Now you go see them now, it's like holy moly, that's some big bad rock and roll those girls are playing mm -hmm. they're incredibly talented women mm -hmm. you know uh sing as singers and as players just they got it all terrific but i re i digress so we met them and we stayed in touch and i remember we did a show together dirks bentley has a great festival called seven peaks in colorado we played a show with them in 2019 i believe it was and we started talking about, again, we got to get in the studio and do something together. So in 2020, which is the last year for all of us, you know, um, we had started this Dylan record. And at the beginning of 2021, I reached out to Rebecca and said, hey, we got a track. We'd already cut the track to I Shall Be Released. I should point out, by the way, after March of 2020 until August of 2021, our entire band wasn't in the same town for that whole period. So, you know, we did some overdubs. The Nashville guys got in the studio and, and, and finished a couple songs, but uh, Bob Carpenter, who sings lead on I Shall Be Released, did a great job, I might add. Uh, he wasn't here, so I 
I call I call Rebecca and I said, hey, would you would you and Megan consider coming in? You know, Megan plays some lap steel, which she just is so brilliant. Um, and uh, and have you all sing on? And we sent her, sent them the track. They loved it. Came in the studio and just boom, you know, nailed it, killed it. Really, just did such a great job. Man. You you mentioned it. I mean, she plays the lap still, and I was thinking about it because you you would probably know better than most. I mean, you've seen so many people play lap steel over your career. Is there anybody out there playing better than Megan on lap steel? I don't think there's anybody playing better. I mean, there's a lot of folks. You know, Jerry Douglas kills on lap steel. Um, but one of the things I love about me, you know. She's a great Dobro player as well. Those bluegrass, that bluegrass upbringing really helped. And she can still just shred on the Dobro. Um, you know, and Rebecca's a great mandolin player and electric guitarist as well. Megan's playing reminds me, and I say this with, with the utmost respect, of our buddy David Lindley, who played on those Jackson Brown records. So you hear, you go listen to Jackson's version of Take It Easy or, you know, redneck friend or any of the i mean, just you know these days mm-hmm. david's just un- unbelievable I-, I think he's the first guy that i can recall in especially in sort of the country rock genre singer songwriter genre that really took that he plays it almost like a saxophone player you can sing those lines which is another thing i love about megan's playing she does that you know the she and Rebecca will be singing in two-part harmony, and Megan will play a third part under... Where's that other voice coming from? Her fingers, you know? Mm-hmm. Incredible. Really, really. That, that's exactly what I told them when they were on the show, because they did a cover. You know, they love doing uh, th- those covers. They A lot of social media covers there of different songs. And they did uh, Sam Cooke, uh, Bring It On Home. And uh, that's yep. that's exactly with that song. They had that third voice in there of lap steel that was just so great. That sneaky ghosty voice right there, you know, it's so good. Yeah, they're uh, they're so good. Fantastic. They're- now, along with this album, um, was this the first album that you got to record uh, with your son? Yes. Well, it's the first entire album. Uh, my son and his cousin Jonathan McEwen, who's John McEwen. Uh, John and I were married to twins way back in the day. So I guess they, you'd call them double cousins because their moms are twins. You know? We're getting all Southern easier, but you know, uh, Jonathan and Jamie had a record deal and they did a really good album called Hannah McEwen. And if you can still find it, you can get it on Amazon, you know, find the, I highly recommend it. It's on the, uh, you know, uh, Spotify and Apple music as well. They did a track called The Lowlands that we recorded on Will the Circle Be Unbroken Volume 3. Then they got this record deal and they got, you know, they got dropped by their label because of a record company merger and they went their separate ways. Jamie uh, had been playing in the Mavericks. Jamie played the Mavericks for a while and then later on uh, he, he played with a great country singer named Gary Allen. But in 2017, John McEwen had left our band and uh, his neighbor, Ross Holmes, who is now our fiddle and mandolin playing, player, great picker, Ross is. P- played with Mumford and & Sons and played with Bruce Hornsby, just to name a couple of the artists that he's uh, uh, you know, toured with and recorded with. He and Jamie are, you know, live two doors down from each other. So we got Ross on board 
And then we sat down and had a long talk. We had a family meeting with Jamie and his wife and my wife. You know, what would it be like going on the road with your dad? And would that be okay? Would it be cool? Would it be, you know, because what mattered at the end of the day was how the family got along, not the business part. But Jamie's like, well, you know, Jimmy Fadden, our drummer, is Jamie's godfather, you know, and there's Uncle Bob out there on keyboards. So he already kind of knew what was up. Uh, his stepdad is Billy Hoyt, who's our stage manager. So it's like, you know, we were already deeply into family land. But that doesn't mean you're going to get along musically or personally once you're thrown out to a tour bus. So he came out and, and, and spent a weekend with us playing. He immediately were like, put a guitar in his hands and said, go on up, just play the set with us. He knew all the songs. He'd been hearing them since he was a little kid. So, uh, you know. It was great. It's been really great. And yeah, and getting to do this album with Jamie's, it's been such a blast. And so, you know, uh, fulfilling as a dad to have my kid, you know, getting to sing and play with my son. Really, really great. Yeah, for sure. I I can definitely imagine. Um, well, now, obviously, huge catalog of Dylan songs to go off of for this album. Uh, just massive catalog. Um <laughs> One one of my favorites uh, is a later. I guess you could consider it a later Dylan song, "Hurricane." Was that ever on the list of possibilities? I think I. You know, that's one of Bob's great sort of story narratives about Reuben Carter, right? Great song. I mean, there's so many. I I think what we wanted to do is it's not so much the content of the songs. It was about how does it fit a band that's got a bunch of guys singing harmonies and all this stuff so our our sort of i don't know criteria for picking those songs was how they fit what we do not necessarily whether or not i mean there's another 300 bob dylan songs that i'm crazy about and there are probably another 50 that we could consider recording right now again but it's got to fit you know the jacket's got to fit pretty well uh and so that was kind of where we are on that we tried a few things in the studio that didn't make the record just because it didn't, I don't know, the, the 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 vibe wasn't quite there for us. Yeah, yeah. It's a classic song. I love that, too. Well, now, for, uh, obviously, like I mentioned at the start of the interview, uh, the the album comes out the 20th. Uh, you, you've got two songs out there right now already, or three songs out there in the world right now off of the album. Um, right now? Right, right. Times are changing. I'm sorry. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. yeah. That was a charity single that we had out last year. Yeah. With Jason Isbell, uh, Roseanne Cash, Warren Treaty, and Steve Earle. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, outside of those three, which one would you say you're most excited for people to hear on the album? Well, there's two. That, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, we're just talking about favorites, and these are actually the songs that we just started playing our last tour. Um, we've been doing, yeah, we we dove right into "Forever Young" and "I Shall Be Released" live. That is, but we started doing "Country Pie," which I love, which it really harkens back to the Dirt Band's Jug Band roots. It's just such a fun tune, you know. I mean, it's it's kind of goofy, Dylan, <laughs> as opposed to like deeply profound serious Dylan mm -hmm. and then this girl from the North Country which Jamie actually takes the lead vocal on uh, and that was really great and those are 180s those songs couldn't be more different from each other 
I call it girl from the North Country Pie, you know, you can buy some more. But those two, I'm, I'm really stoked about. I really, really love them. Um, I mean, I, I really love the whole album. I'm really, you know, Fadden, Jimmy Fadden, our drummer and resident blues guy, great harmonica player who's played with folks like Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, Dan Fogelberg on harmonica sessions, talking about L.A. again. He takes the lead vocal on Takes a Lot to Laugh and Takes a Train to Cry, which is Bob does the blues, you know, which he does very well, I might add. Uh, but Fadden, that was a great fit for him. Very nice. Yeah, well, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited about the whole record. Obviously, you guys got shows throughout the summer. Uh, actually, yep. one of the last shows there uh, is in Jacksonville here, Orange Park, September second. Uh, after all of those shows, what's what's next for the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band? Well, I mean, we're gonna probably just hunker down and take a break. <laughs> you know, uh, but I will say this though: we had a long break again. You know, from March of 2020 till. August of 21, uh, without playing any live shows, we love playing for the folks in person so much. I mean, that's the reason that we do this. We love making records, but the experience, the communal experience of playing live music is, there's nothing like it, you know? And I'm a fan, as a music fan, I feel the same way. I love going to see shows. But yeah, we'll get back in the studio, I imagine, and make some more music. We got plenty of tunes. We got a good stash of songs to record. But this time we really wanted to go to a source that we knew and loved the the, the, the material already. We just thought, well, that would be, that's unique for us. Let's try that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Jeff, we are up against a break, but I want to thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Really great talking to you, man. I appreciate it. 100%. Listeners, make sure you get Dirt Does Dylan out May 20th on all streaming services. And if you get a chance to go see him in concert, it will be one of the best shows you ever go see. My dad guarantees it right now. Let's take a listen to Forever Young right here on the Doc G Show. Back here on the Doc G show, the nitty gritty dirt band forever young off of their new album there. Dirt does Dylan say what? Misspoke there with him. He corrected me and he should have corrected me. That's dirt goes Dylan. What am I thinking? What am I thinking saying that <laughs> to a legend? I told you I'd F it up, Mike. And F it up with a legend. It's I did. Good. It's okay. It's okay, Doc G. I got it back on the tracks. We got it mm-hmm. back in there. Nope. Anyways, fantastic to talk to Jeff Han. I'm still riding high. Still riding high from that interview. It was fantastic. Talk yeah. to a legend like that. Just so many cool stories, Mike. I mean, from Southern California to Colorado to Nashville to working with legends of country to legends of rock to working with part of the Eagles, getting to work with Bernie Lee, uh, Bernie Leiden. Uh just so dope, Mike. So yeah, so cool, so cool. Yeah. It's one of those things that I'm like, I don't know. In hindsight, if I look at my career in 40 years like that, 
Don't know if it's gonna be that spectacular. I got, I got <laughs> yeah. a, I got a little work to do. Got a little bit, a little bit of work to do, but not know? much. Yeah, not do it, not too much. Work. A couple of things. I think yeah, <laughs> got a couple of tours lined up. Uh, anyways, if you get a chance, listeners, you need to go out. You need to check out the new album. They're doing all Dylan songs, Bob Dylan. It's fantastic. Uh, it's got great people on there like Jason Isbell. It's got great people on there like Larkin Poe on uh, I Shall Be Released. You need to check out the whole album. It's fantastic. Jeff Hanna is fantastic, and we are super psyched that he was able to come on the show. Yes! Mike, two more birthday suits. Um, I don't think you'll get either of these. <laughs> these are cool. really... I probably wouldn't get either of these if I were uh, being given these clues. Yeah, I'd get the second one. I wouldn't get the first right. one. Uh, well, I'll try. I may get the first really one. There's one very he's a, so he's a painter, and there's a, a there's a painting he did that's super super famous. Uh, okay. Born in Spain on May 11th, 1904. From a young age, our birthday suit wearer loved to paint and draw. In 1922, he started studying art at the San Fernando Royal Academy of Fine Arts in Spain. During this time, he drew the most interest in his cubism paintings. In 1926, our birthday suit wearer made a trip to Paris and met Pablo Picasso. Mm. He left mm. the Royal Academy in 1926. By the late 20s, our birthday suit wearer's uh, art was being mostly influenced by surrealism. He was also being influenced by Freud's work. One of, the, uh, one of his most famous paintings was a 1931 painting titled The Persistence of Memory. It's known mm. colloquially, colloquially as melting clocks. In 1937, he painted what's known as the burning giraffe. The same year, he painted another famous work known as the metamorphosis of the narcissist. He continued to paint for the rest of his life until 1989 when he passed away from cardiac arrest. Throughout his life, mm. he was also well known for his curled mustache. Name hmm. that birthday suit wearer. Was it Dolly? There it is. Yes. Hey. Salvador Dolly. You got nice. it right. I, 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 I spoke hey. too soon. I thought about it. I was like, I, well, most people know the melting clocks. Most people yeah. know. You know? Yeah. I think I went to, doesn't he have like a, like a, a place in Barcelona? Mm -hmm. We went, my girlfriend and I went to like, it's a, it's a huge, basically like, compound yeah that he is a is an is an art piece by him yeah basically. Yeah. yeah we checked that out nice that's cool nice yeah he i mean you know he's one of those guys dedicated his life to, to art very yeah. very peculiar guy very yeah. like most painted his dreams most yeah. true artiste very peculiar mm -hmm. but uh mm -hmm. you know melting clocks i do love that as it's just such an awesome awesome concept awesome art uh and i don't think any college student can ever say they walk by a poster sale without seeing a melting clock uh, uh, yeah. re-imaging. It's the melting clocks and MC Escher. You're going to get both of them at all, at all poster sales, no doubt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Salvador Dali, man. Salvador Dali, there you go. Okay, now this one, probably not. 
We'll see. Probably not. Okay. Uh, born on May 11, 1941 in Walker, England. At a young age, he saw Louis Armstrong on TV, which led him to start playing the trombone and started his love of music. He ended up going to art school where he met John Steele, who would be his drummer in his first band, The Animals. Uh, in the mid-1960s, uh, he became really good friends with Jimi Hendrix and remained good friends with Jimi Hendrix until his death. Her birthday suit wearer became the lead singer of The Animals in 1962. Uh, along with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the Hollies, the Animals were known as the British Invasion. Right? Their biggest mm. single was extremely popular, The House of the Rising Sun. In 1969, our birthday suit wearer joined up with the funk band War. They made an extremely popular single, Spill the Wine. In 1971, he started releasing solo artist work. A birthday suit wearer is still making music and is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Name that birthday suit wearer. I'm going to guess Miles Bridges. <laughs> huh? I think you're thinking Miles Davis. Miles Davis. Ah, Miles Davis. Who's Miles Bridges? Miles Bridges is an Davis. NBA player. <laughs> And so, uh, no. Okay. Miles Davis, yeah. <laughs> but Miles Davis is a jazz artist, and no, it's Not Eric correct. Burden. Eric, Eric Burden. Burden. Never would have guessed. No, no. <laughs> I thought that was a dig. That was a real dig, you know, as far as like, that would be a tough. I would be absolutely stunned if you would have got that one. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like if you yeah. went out into the general public, one out of. 2,000 people would get that. Nah, yeah. nah, maybe not that high. One out of 1,000 people would get that high. Because the animals were really popular. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it is getting now about 50 years ago that they were really popular. But still, you know, depending, I guess, on the age demographic. If it were like on a college campus, yeah, it'd be like 1 in 8,000 people would get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you were at a millennial hangout spot, it'd be like one in 2,000. If you mm -hmm. were at a baby boomer spot, it'd be like one in five. So, you know, yeah. okay. just uh, depends on the demographics. Regardless, Eric Bird is still true. out there making music. Happy birthday, happy birthday to Eric Burden. Uh, I do love The House of the Rising Sun. That is a jam. That is an absolute yeah. jam. And Spill the Wine. That song with uh, War. Spill wine, dig that girl. You know that jam? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know that one. <laughs> it's a good one, man. It is a fantastic jam. It's a great middle-of-the-day summer jam. Like, okay. you get a super hot, like, July day, like, four in the afternoon. You're all hanging out on the porch, like, in the shade. Maybe somebody's on a hammock. That is mm. the song to go to. Right there. <laughs> Trust me. I, I won't let you down, listeners. Do it. You'll be like, yeah, he nailed it. This is the song. This is a go-to for this this exact setting right now. Hmm? You know? Anyways, happy birthday to Eric Burden. Happy birthday to Salvador Dali. Go enjoy some Dali paintings. Be amazed by a surrealism. Go listen to some Eric Burden. And obviously, yeah. go listen to some nitty-gritty... Nitty man! tongue-tied today mike nitty-gritty <laughs> dirt band uh mike we have some fantastic shows coming up super excited next week we've got joe p on the show this guy 
Uh, he's been grinding out as a musician for like the last eight years, right? He was in a band, mm. Deal Casino, uh, who got pretty popular, had several hundred thousand listeners on Spotify, he was doing small tours around the country, uh, but just weren't gaining a ton of traction. And then at the start of the pandemic, he has to shut things down with his band, and uh, he starts just making solo stuff, starts putting it out on TikTok, boom! All of a sudden, everybody's watching him. Yeah. He's got like 500,000 followers on TikTok now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's one of those things that, and this guy, you know, this guy's not a a Generation Z fella, you know? Mm -hmm. This guy's like, I think like 28, something like that, you know? Mm. So, I mean, he's still a young buck, but he's not like, he's not super young. He's not, he's, Mm -hmm. he's not like in high school, you know? And it's crazy. Toiled for like eight years touring and everything. You put out a couple videos on TikTok. He's like, what? People are listening to my stuff now? Like, it's crazy. We're going to talk to him. I can't wait. He's out of uh, New Jersey, Asbury Park. Very cool. Uh, Obviously, shout out to the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Um, Mm -hmm. We've also got some great other artists lined up, Mike. I can't wait. You're not going to spoil it. I would, I would give them, but we all know, listeners, uh, long-time listeners of the show know, if I say it before they actually agree to a particular date, we will jinx it, and they will not come on the show. So, <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna jinx it until we sign an ink, and by sign an ink, I mean their uh, uh, manager emails me back and says, yeah, that date works. <laughs> um, then I will tell you the other artists that are coming on the show. But until then, Mike, we need to wrap it up. I have been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus, the Furnicus Charette. Say what? Yep. Thanks, Doc G. It was a great time. Of course. Love it. Of course. And until next week, guys, zip it up and zip it out. Zip it a doodle.